Welcome to the Abbot Circle podcast. I'm Father Ambrose Christ, and I'm the novice master here at St. Michael's Abbey. We hope that you enjoy the following recording. To learn more about the Norbertines, visit theabbotcircle.com. God bless you. Hello there, everybody. This is Father Sebastian Walsh and Father Ambrose Christ. We're here at St. Michael's Abbey for another one of our webinars, and Father Sebastian is going to begin with a prayer. Thank you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Mary, Mother of Christians, and Amen. Our Lady of Good Counsel, pray for us. Our holy guardian angels and patron saints, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Folks, welcome back if you've been with us before, and if you haven't been to one of our webinars yet, welcome for the first time. Father Sebastian, what can you tell us about cancel culture and our response? Very good. Well, thank you, Father Ambrose. Thank you so much for all of you who are joining us on this beautiful feast of our Lord's most precious body and blood. And, um, and that's a reminder, just the feast day we're celebrating today, that um, God has not canceled us. <laughs> we, he has given us the greatest gift that he could possibly give. That is, his, he's given us his own son. St. Paul says that if God has handed over his only son to us, what else will he not give us? Huh? So we're very, very grateful as Christians. We always have joy and hope. And this feast day, especially of our, of our Lord's body and blood, reminds us of the great hope that we have in the midst of our struggles. And that, that's something I'll touch on as we get a little bit further on, the virtue of hope and its importance in confronting this kind of cancel culture we're in. So um, after my last webinar, which was on the Equality Act, there were a number of questions that came in. And one of the themes that was very frequent was a question something like this. What do we do in the real world fight, right? with regard to this cancel culture and the so-called evil agenda that are at work, at school, and in other places in the public forum. How do we respond concretely? Okay, so that's what I'm gonna to attempt to answer in today's webinar. And the first thing I wanna point out is I wanna point out that there's a disproportion in our world and our culture today between what people really think and what people think people think. I know that sounds funny, but the, those who are largely in charge of the means of communication in our culture today have a very skewed worldview. Uh, many, many years ago, I think it was about 30 years ago, I was involved in a group called Operation Rescue and we were going there and we were protecting babies in abortion clinics. And um, the Los Angeles Times had the honesty on one occasion to actually report this fact that 90% of people who work in media are pro-abortion. Now that's not, that, that was completely misrepresentative of the culture as a whole, but because they worked in media, they had a much louder voice. They had a much louder voice and we're confronted with something similar today. The people who are behind um, this anti-Christian agenda and behind what we're calling this cancel culture, 
they have louder voices, but their numbers are not as great as they seem. And they're like little dogs with a very loud bark. <laughs> and we have to remember that. Um, I like to teach my students um, when we talk about things like this, I like to give them a, a brief definition of propaganda. Propaganda is the art of convincing the majority that they're in the minority. That's exactly what propaganda does. You've got a bunch of people who think something and what you do is you try and convince them that they're actually in the minority. You make them feel silly for thinking something contrary to what, mo what most people think. Now, the only reason they can do that is because they have control over the means of communication and therefore they, they, spark, they, they speak louder, they seem to have a larger voice, they seem to be more representative of what the population actually thinks. And the only way propaganda can be successful is if people, A, are fooled into thinking that they really are in the minority, and B, they're too fearful and it's more important to them to agree with everyone around them than to say and do what's right. And so both of those are things that we're gonna to have to address in, in responding to the cancel culture. Okay, so step one, what's the first attitude that we have to have to confront this anti-Christian worldview that's being imposed upon or forced upon people in our own nation and throughout the Western world? And the answer to that is, we have to have love and courage. Love and courage are the first attitudes of heart dispositions that we need in order to confront this. Christians, and in fact, our forebearers in the faith, the Jewish people before them, have always had to face some form of cancel culture in much harsher forms than we're facing today. Um, I wanna mention, first of all, if you go back to the, to the book of Maccabees, Right? In the book of Maccabees, we read that there were some uh, Greek generals. There was first Alexander the Great who came in and he overran practically the whole of the Mediterranean and into even into India. And then he appointed uh, generals after his death. And one of those generals was a guy named Ptolemy who basically had jurisdiction over Egypt and what is now the Holy Land where the people of Israel were living. And what they did is they imposed Greek culture, Greek ways, and they abolished the true worship of God revealed by God um, in the scriptures. And so there was cancel culture in a, in a really big way. They basically said, adopt Greek customs, adopt the Greek culture, adopt Greek worship, polytheistic worship, etc., And you have to cancel any worship of the true God. Now, what happened? most of the people went along with it because the people who were in power, the people who had the loudest voice were saying, you have to do this or you'll be punished. But there was a small group and that small group fought very, very hard. That was the Maccabees, right? It started with one family who were then joined by a small group of people. And as things went on and on, their principled resistance end up being enough to eventually overcome um, this, this tremendous force or power that was working against them. And one of the things that Judas Maccabeus used to say over and over again is, it's not the size of the army, it's who's God's side on, who, who, who is God, whose side is God on? That's really the only question that we need to answer. And the, the battle belongs to the Lord, right? The Lord can, can take a single individual 
and rout an army because he doesn't need our help, but he can use us as instruments of his power. So already in, um, in the pre-Christian era, we saw this attempt to cancel um, the, the Jewish religion, okay? Then what happened was that we got to the, the early Christians. And I wanna to read to you a quote taken from St. Paul's epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 32 through 34. Here's what St. Paul said. Remember the early days that you were in the light. In those days, you endured a great conflict in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to ridicule and persecution. Does that sound familiar? At other times, you were partners with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property, knowing that you yourselves had a better and permanent possession. <clears throat> so there's St. Paul talking about a very harsh, what we would call today a cancel culture, that people were ridiculing them, making fun of them, persecuting them for their beliefs. And not only that, putting them in prison and confiscating their property. And how did that first Christian community respond? Joyfully, joyfully accepting the confiscation of their property. Isn't that amazing? Because they had hope, hope in a higher life, hope in a, a better lasting possession, <coughs> which I will, I'll address that as one of the dispositions we need in a little while. But look at that. See how the Christians responded. Um, they did not lie down like doormats. They didn't keep silent. But even though they were a small group, nevertheless, they stood up with hope and confidence, and they joyfully confronted the, the cancel culture of their time. And then we can fast forward a little bit now to the early days of the Roman Empire, right, where um, the Roman Empire had, had taken note of the Christian religion and had put basically a, a no-holds-barred persecution in place. This is under Diocletian. There were several emperors, but the really last great persecution was under Diocletian. And this was in the basically from the late 200s all the way into the early 300s. And Christians were being persecuted to the point of just martyrdom. It was a terrible, terrible persecution, much worse than anything we could imagine today. They're trying to altogether stamp out the Christian faith, the Church of Jesus Christ. And they had everything on their side, all the power, all the military. They had everything from a worldly perspective. But in the year 312, <laughs> everything turned around. And there was an emperor named Constantine who seems to have been moved by God. And lo and behold, by 313, the Roman Empire had capitulated and it accepted Christianity and eventually adopted it as the official religion of the entire empire. How is that possible? You know that at that time, only one in seven members of the Roman Empire were Christian. 14% approximately, a tiny percentage. And yet, the Roman Empire ended up bowing to that small minority. And why? Because those Christians absolutely gave everything in order to be faithful to Christ. 
everything. There was a famous line by Diocletian, who at one point finally said, we have to stop the persecution. I'm killing my best taxpayers. <laughs> so the Christians were the ones who were faithful, who were doing everything like they should. They're paying their taxes. They're honest. They're virtuous. They're outstanding members of society. They were contributing to the good of the empire with regard to all the, the virtues that were considered. They were hard workers. They're doing all that. And then when it came to their faith, they were willing to die rather than to deny their faith. And they were outspoken and they were public about it. Huh? So we have to be willing to speak out and that takes love and courage. Why do I say both of those things? Love, because speaking out means evangelizing. And those who are in error and those who are in sin need conversion and they need to be saved. And we as Christians, we have an obligation to speak out in love for their salvation, right? Um, we live in a society today that basically says, let's not hurt anyone's feelings. Let's not offend anyone. I heard a great line the other day. Being offended doesn't make you a good person. <laughs> it's a very simple truth. Being offended doesn't make you a good person. It doesn't make you right. Um, you might be offended. If the doctor tells you you have cancer, or the, you might be offended if the doctor tells you you're overweight, you need to lose weight, or else you're going to have serious health consequences. That might offend you, but are we more interested in people liking us, or are we more interested in them being happy? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. And if we love them for their own sake, we're willing to be disliked in order to bring about their good. In the rule of St. Augustine, which is the rule that we Norbertines follow, there's a beautiful line that says, do not think that you are uncharitable when you point out your brother's moral fault. For if your brother had a bodily wound which he wanted to hide because he feared the cure, would it not be cruel of you to keep silent and a kindness to make it known? How much greater is your obligation to manifest their spiritual wound, lest they grow more corrupt? in their heart. So love impels us to speak the truth about people's moral defects and about the fact that they need conversion. And frankly, we all need conversion. So we're not standing uh, above people as their judge and saying, I'm your judge, I'm morally perfect, and therefore you need to change and fold our arms like this, you know. Um, we believe as Christians that the second person of the Trinity proceeds by way of truth. So he's the truth. And we also believe that from him spirates the Holy Spirit who is love. So we believe that truth spirates or breathes forth love. And we also believe that love proceeds from truth. And we believe both of those as Christians. When we speak the truth, we speak it with love, right? And that love proceeds from that truth. And at the same time, we don't sit in a position of condemnation, but rather we say, here are your sins, and I'm going to help you. Let me help you be free from them. Let me help you to come out of them. So whenever we speak out against these evil anti-Christian things, for example, that are being promulgated throughout the world, let's remember to do that. Let's, let's say very clearly and forcefully, here's the truth that we have to adhere to, and 
I love you enough to tell you and also to help you. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to just accuse you and walk away like the Pharisees, but rather I'm going to speak the truth and then I'm going to offer the help that's, that's offered through Jesus Christ, you know, through the power of Jesus Christ and his mercy. So we need love. And then we need courage because people are afraid. People are afraid of other people disliking them. People are afraid of losing their jobs. People are afraid of having things taken away from them. People are afraid of, you know, losing the things of this world. And, and we need courage in the face of that. And that courage is linked to hope. In that passage I read from St. Paul, I'm going to read the last part for you just once again. You sympathize with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property, knowing that you yourselves had a better and permanent possession. Now, if you have a mountain of gold in your bank account and someone steals a penny, does that bother you? Of course not. When you as a Christian have hope in that everlasting and surpassing reward of eternal life, which consists not in having just the goods of this world, but actually the source of all goodness, God himself. And this is our hope. Well, then, that gives us courage in the face of the threats that people are going to take away the goods of this life. Right? What can you say to someone who has their whole hope in God? If you say to someone, I'm going to take away your property, right? That person will say, I have an everlasting home in heaven. And someone says, I'm going to take away your life. And they say, for me, life is Christ and death is gain. I mean, what can you do to someone like that? The, the hardest person to fight against is a madman. Right? You know the people who, and you know the reason why? Because they're never trying to defend themselves, right? The kamikaze or whatever, the suicide bomber or whatever. I don't advocate those things. I'm simply saying those are the dangerous, most dangerous people. Well, if you're a Christian and you're not worried about guarding and defending the things of this world that you have, if you're if you just say to yourself, you know, I need to be faithful to Christ, I need to speak the truth of uh, of the gospel, and I need to be uh, an evangelist in whatever circumstances I find myself in, even if that means that they're going to fire me, even if that means they're going to take away my property, even if that means they're going to hurt me and my family, because I believe that God will protect me and will, will give me a reward in the life to come. I actually believe in the Beatitudes. Blessed are you poor. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, right? for the kingdom of heaven will be theirs. When I believe those things, then it's really impossible to discourage someone like that. And that's the attitude those early Christians had that basically faced the, forced the Roman empire with all its power to its knees before Jesus Christ. And a very small group of people is capable of doing great things with regard to transforming the culture and changing the culture if they are fully committed to Christian hope, that hope gives them courage and that courage allows them to speak out in love. And so those are the interior dispositions of heart that all of us need to have if we're going to effectively fight 
this cancel culture or this culture, an anti-Christian culture, which demands that we stay silent about the truths of the Christian faith in the face of the prevailing um, uh, positions or viewpoints of those who have control of the means of communication today, okay? So there's that. What's the third thing that we need to do? Well, following upon hope, I wanna add the words of St. Peter who says, be always prepared to render an account of the reason for the hope that is within you. This is in St. Peter's epistle um, to the whole church, right? His first epistle, be ready to render an account of the hope which is within you, a reason for the hope within you. And that means we have to be educated in these matters that we're confronted with, right? What are some of the um, typical positions that are representative of the culture, the, the cancel culture, and of the, um, the agenda, the anti-Christian agenda, which we find so prevalent and widespread in the media today? Well, number one, attacks on marriage and family, the nature of marriage and family. And so educate yourself. You're going to have to be able to respond to the arguments that people put forth, because um, if people think you're just doing it as a bigot, or you just sort of say to yourself, well, I disagree with you, then it becomes just, I think something, you think something, and now we're just fighting over, the, of, over our own viewpoints, rather than having some kind of an objective measure and saying, no, here's why what you're saying is wrong, right? Here's the problems with your position. Not only is it contrary to the teachings of Jesus Christ and his church, which is enough of a good reason, but also it's even contrary to sound reason, right? And it, it's impossible for people to live together in society happily and peacefully if we adopt these false views about marriage and family, right? Uh, but there's lots of objections people will raise. People will raise all sorts of objections. I forgot to bring with me, but I wrote a book on marriage and family, and it's called Understanding Marriage and Family, A Catholic Perspective. And I wrote that book actually as a text for our high school students at the Abbey. And I included in it um, copious objections to the Catholic position uh, over and over again. Sometimes I think the book has something more than 120 different objections and responses to questions that people might ask or challenges people might raise against the church's teaching on marriage and family. So I can recommend that book. It's called Understanding Marriage and Family, A Catholic Perspective. It's kind of a maroon color. It's got a nice image of the Holy Family on the front. So the publisher is Aruka Press um, and you can find it on their website. You can find it on Amazon. Most people don't like to go to Amazon, but <laughs> you know, um, Aruka Press would be a good place you could find it. So. Um, that's just one recommendation as a resource for you to educate yourself on questions about marriage and family, questions about, for example, natural law, um, you know, questions about transgenderism and other things like that. Huh? Um, so there's, there's the next step. You have to educate yourself and you can't think that your kind of in your past Catholic education is going to be sufficient in many cases to overcome the problems that are around today. Because frankly, most of the people who are you know listening to this webinar probably were educated at a time had their their Catholic formation at a time when none of these were questions or difficulties. Everyone was in agreement, for example, that a family 
was a husband, his wife, and their children. Everyone was in agreement that marriage was the union between a man and a woman, which was lifelong, right? Um, which is for the sake of generating it and, and bringing children up. All of that was something we were in agreement about, that a man is a man and he can't change into a woman and vice versa and whatever. Um, and now these problems and these objections have been raised. So we need to be able to confront those and education, good education that involves meeting the actual objections and listening to people and being willing to sit and say, okay, fine, here's your position. Let me um, understand your position as clearly as I can. Now let me respond to the, the serious problems that you have, okay? That kind of education is gonna be important in confronting a cancel culture because we can't just sit there and voluntaristically assert, here's my position, there's your position, you just have to change your mind. We have to have some way of having some kind of common ground where we can speak about these things, okay? Finally, well, not finally, the fourth, almost the second to last thing I want to say is you should know the law, okay? Know what your rights are before the law, especially with regard to things like, um, you know, your school and your job and things like that. Um, the laws in our society have not been utterly corrupted. A nice thing about laws, it tends to, to preserve or to stay around a little bit longer than just, you know, social changes. And that's one of the good things about law. And so there are many things that are in our laws that prevent this kind of injustice of people basically saying, you can't work, you can't go to school, you can't have these goods. Um, if you don't agree with my political or moral or whatever ideological viewpoints, okay? And so you should know the law and you should not be afraid to use the law, right? Um, in many cases, when people have been uh, so-called canceled from one area or another, it's important to speak out, to speak out publicly, right? To use the just laws um, that you can in order to resist that. Because as we all know, a bully will always be a bully until someone punches him back in the nose. And then when someone fights back, then the bully starts to show his true colors and you realize, you realize the bully's actually not as strong as they look. And so it's the same way, if, if people are um, using bullying tactics and using overly aggressive tactics that are illegal and also contrary to justice and charity, then it's important that you make those public and that you don't just cower and just do, you know, whatever someone says, just, you know, I don't want confrontation. I don't want to rock the boat. I'm sorry, you're a Christian. <laughs> we have to confront evil in the world. There are times when you say to yourself, what's prudent in these circumstances, is this, is this an area where it's important to make a statement or make a stand here or there, right? You don't wanna win the battle and lose the war, so to speak. So there are times when prudence is called for and you realize, okay, in this case or this time, uh, you know, Jesus himself said, don't cast your pearls before swine, right? In other words, there are certain circumstances where it's, um, you can prudently judge, this is not the time or the place to make a big statement, but um, don't, fail to make a statement, don't fail to speak out, don't fail to resist these things out of fear. I can remember a specific instance many, many years ago before I joined the Abbey, I used to work at an intellectual property law firm and I'd been invited to dinner at the house of one of the partners, the one in fact who I, I work with most often. And so here was my boss and the one who was, you know, the one keeping me employed. 
And at one point we were at this dinner and there was a couple, you know, married couples there besides me. Um, I was the only single person there. And suddenly the topic turned to um, homosexual lifestyles. And people started speaking about, oh, you know, isn't that nice that, you know, that, that those things, those rights are being recognized now and so forth. And obviously the, you know, the fear was if I say something here in front of my boss, you know, and, and resist this, then that could cost me my job or certainly, you know, the chance for, for getting pay raises or whatever, who knows. But I decided, look, they're the ones who are bringing it up and I have a right to, to say something back. So I charitably said, no, I, you know, that's wrong. And um, I don't think that's a good thing. And interestingly enough, it, it, you know, they were taken aback, but at the same time, you know, I think for the first time they actually heard someone who, who spoke an opposing viewpoint with some, you know, some reasons behind it. And maybe it, it gave them the impression, well, not everyone thinks this way. You know, even though it's on the TV, not everyone thinks this way. And it gave them pause to reevaluate their kind of uncritical acceptance of what they were learning from the television or the newspaper or whatever. So that brings me to the last point. The last point is open the Bible and turn off the television. Cancel the cancel culture. In other words, if you're constantly on social media, and here we are on a social media front, I'm not saying social media is all bad, but I'm saying if your constant source of information is social media, you can number one, get all worked up, even if you're on a good website or something like that, that's, that's you know, or a good show that's actually proclaiming what's true and right. Sometimes they do it in such a way as to get people all angry and, um, and get people worked up so that they lose their peace. Huh? Um, the truth of the matter is that we need to be reading the scriptures more often, reading the gospels more often, listening to the words of Jesus. That's the source of all truth. And then living in the natural world, which is also a kind of book of revelation, God has created the natural world. And to, to immerse ourselves in nature, in the scriptures, both of which are authored by the Lord. And that will allow us to have our minds more brought into conformity with reality and less to be affected by, you know, the different viewpoints of people that are out there. Um, it's really important that our first source of contact with truth is truth itself, those things that come from God. And, and then, in some sort of secondary way for purposes that are necessary, then we can go to social media and we can look at certain things and we can confront people. Not everyone is supposed to be you know, a blogger or, or on television um, confronting you know, these different questions. Really, this is something that happens at the grassroots level. We're dealing with your own family, you're dealing with your friends, you're dealing with your coworkers. Um, and, um, and it's really important that your primary source of information uh, is from him who is wisdom itself. So, those are my thoughts, and I hope that you found that helpful. And at this point, I think we'll address some questions that have come up in the course of the webinar. Great. Thank you, Father Sebastian. I'm going to just readjust a little bit here so we can adjust our screen. Thank you for your patience, everybody, with our technology. <laughs> we live in a monastery. That means we're not always great <laughs> at tech things. We have good help. Father Sebastian, thank you for those uh, really wise words and for the inspiration and uh, keeping us all full of hope and joy in the Lord in the face of what can be kind of a scary mm -hmm. world we live in. 
Um, a few questions that have come in from, from our friends out there, from all of you, and uh, some other thoughts too, that we can round out the hour with, with some further conversation, Father. Could you help us just, I wanna just review a little bit of what you said. Could you maybe for some of the guests who may not be plugged in a whole lot mm -hmm. to the, to the um, world out there, which mm -hmm. is so antithetical to Christianity, mm -hmm. what is cancel culture? Yes, okay. Yeah, let me speak about that. So um, this idea of cancel culture is the following, that if you propose in a public forum or public setting, truths which are contrary to the prevalent worldview that's found in the means of uh, in the means of communication, primarily, you know, the media, what we call the mainstream media today, or something like that, then that justifies you being fired from your job. It justifies you being um, unable to have a voice on social media platforms, for example. Uh, Twitter or YouTube or Google or whatever, okay? And it justifies even violence against your person. Those are the sorts of things that are involved in the cancel culture. And so the idea is, look, if you don't subscribe, for example, to a critical race theory, then that makes you a racist and therefore you should not be able to have a public voice. If you subscribe to the fact that marriage is only between a man and a woman, that every child deserves its father and its mother, huh? then you, are, um, you deserve to be um, um, put off of any sort of social media or have any social voice, any public voice whatsoever, and you should be fired from your job and whatever. Um, if you don't accept the fact that men can become women and women can become men, if you say no, actually, that's not a possibility and that's not healthy and it's not good for people to try and change their gender, right? Then you can be, um, again, deplatformed, um, had your voice restricted in any public forum, be fired from your work, accused of um, phobias and accused of hatred of people and so forth. Huh? Um, it's those sorts of things that you'll find um, throughout and, and it can extend to lots of things it even extends to questions about, for example, recently the stuff about the COVID virus and the vaccine, that if you don't hold to a certain set of approved views about being vaccinated, you don't hold to a certain set of approved views about the origins of the virus or whatever, these things, then that means that you're someone who, who's harmful to the common good and therefore you must be excluded as much as possible from society and in participating in the goods of society. That's the idea of the cancel culture is to be excluded from uh, society, excluded from the goods of social life and society um, because you hold viewpoints which do not agree with the viewpoints of those who are in power and for the most part have control over the means of communication. Thanks, Father. The, um, just dig into that just a little bit, if you wouldn't mind. You know, we've seen the, of course, we see the ramifications of this in public life mm -hmm. and in, in the media culture that it's obvious what's going on there. And I want to return in a minute to uh, the question of how that might touch on people's personal lives. We have, we have a lot of questions about the, about the vaccination and the COVID land and all of this. So we'll return to that in a moment. Mm -hmm. But before we do, in this more global way about the problem of cancel culture and this kind of propaganda, this very heavy handed propaganda that's happening, mm -hmm. 
what, so if this extends even to something like rewriting history, tearing hmm. down statues, yes. all the, so, so not only do you have to, do, does one have to hold a position that might be contrary to the truth yes. today, but we also want to erase the contrary position from the book of history mm-hmm. so that it's so that no one can ever commit this public sin again of mm-hmm. believing something contrary yes. to the prevailing uh, and uh, anti-Christian view. What do you think is at the root of that apart from evil, which is just obviously yes. evil, yes. but, but there, we're, we're dealing here with questions of truth. Aren't yes. We? Yes. What is really, what is true? Yes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, good. I'm, and I'm glad you brought that up because I didn't mention that aspect of what you what we call cancel culture. And that is an attempt to rewrite and erase history. Now, what is that? What's behind that in particular? There's a great line from Chesterton in which he said that tradition is the democracy of the dead, <laughs> right? In other words, that um, democracy holds that no one should be excluded, you know, by accident of birth from participating in social life and contributing the common good. Well, tradition says that no one should be excluded from that by accident of death. That's the way that that Chesterton put it. In other words, when you are able to look at history and you see what people have thought historically outside of your time and outside of your locale and your only particular culture, what that does is it expands your, your view about the possibilities of what people might think about certain issues, right? So you would say, for example, um, gosh, if I look outside of my time period, what I find is that there's practical unanimity about the fact that marriage can only be between a man and a woman, right? Um, You will find for centuries and centuries before 30 years ago, every culture, every time, every place, every religion in agreement about that. Now that kind of enormous unanimity, right, is a sign that um, it's not self-evident that marriage shouldn't be between a man and woman, that you can have marriage between persons of the same sex. And that causes people to question and say, huh, maybe what I'm being told right now by the people who have control of communication, maybe what I'm being told isn't as reasonable as I think it is, and there are reasons to the contrary. Now, those who have control of the means of communication don't want you to be able to think that, and therefore they have to erase history. Now, this was a a common tactic of the Marxists, (laughs) right? In communism, this is the thing they tried to do. They tried to get people to forget that certain things were true, and they, they educated people in such a way that people thought that everyone for all of human history has thought the way we think now, and no one could ever possibly think the opposite. Of, of what we communists think, okay? That was a classic attempt. They even had an attempt to make communist mathematics just to show you how widespread this, this was, okay? So erasing history, trying to rewrite history is part of a larger program of silencing dissent and quashing reason, right? So that's one of the reasons why that has to happen. And, and if there's a statue of someone up, People might go by and look at that statue and wonder, well, what did he do? And then look them up and then find out what that person did and then say, huh, he was considered a hero for doing the exact opposite of what we're told today is good. Now that makes me wonder, right? So these are the kinds of things 
um, that the cancel culture also involves. And again, it's an attempt to destroy truth mm -hmm. because what they want is they want people to follow their will and to accept whatever they say. And truth is the enemy of that very often. So that's another that's reason right. why that, that element exists in cancel culture. And isn't it also true, Father? The, I mean, the, just the fact that we're not afraid to look at history doesn't mean that we're only looking for what's in agreement with my position now. In that's history, right. but, but I might, in fact, discover that someone, someone was really pretty wicked in the past. But yes. It's good for us to have that example before our eyes also yes. by way of a counterexample yes. of what, in other words, the truth can and does include error. Yes. From personal error and sin, historically speaking. Historical truth. It right. says these people existed and they did bad things and we should learn from that. That's right. Yeah. I, um, I went to a wonderful uh, college called Thomas Aquinas College where they use a seminar method and discussion method. And the bulk of the, second, the third and fourth year of the books that we read there, the bulk of the books we read in seminar there, are books that are contrary to the, the truths of the Catholic faith. In fact, someone joked it basically corresponds to the index of forbidden books that the church used to have, right? So the reason for that is that um, you need to know the errors that have been around so that you can confront them honestly and listen to people. Um, errors always teach us something. And when you shut down any discussion of someone because they hold a position opposite of yourself, then one of the things that does is it causes people to fail to think more deeply about questions. And so you have to have that openness to other people's positions, even if they're erroneous positions, so that you can really deepen your understanding of the truth, right? If someone like Descartes or Hegel didn't come along, then you wouldn't understand right, the, the truth about reality as well as you do, because those objections, um, you wouldn't see where they would lead. And you might think, hey, um, maybe that's okay. Maybe that would work out well. No, but if you follow that rabbit hole down you know, that Descartes, you know, proposes or whoever, then you realize, oh, now I see the truth more clearly. So we need to have that kind of a culture and openness to disagreement um, that's, that's definitely being excluded in this modern so-called cancel culture. Right, and so what you're describing there, Father, is really, I mean, we might say in general terms, liberalism, liberalism in the classic sense, mm -hmm. where everybody's position can find a place at the table and we're going to consider all of them and look for the truth in the midst of all of that. Yes. So that all of us grow yes. in knowledge of and love of the truth. Liberalism does that, classic liberalism. What the cancel culture is, is something we might call leftist. Yeah, or, or totalitarian. Totalitarian, yeah. yeah, that's what that is, isn't it? Yeah. Good. Uh, let's get down to some brass tacks. Okay. As they say, a lot of people since our last time together a month ago have been asking about the COVID vaccine. Yes. And, okay. and, and we've had people writing in with questions, things like this. You know, I'm feeling ostracized even amongst my uh, fellow Christians at church. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling ostracized by people whom I love in my family and amongst my circle of friends because I have a different position about this. So, so you, you mentioned it a minute ago about how there's a kind of uh, cancel culture uh, frisant even to uh, something as important as people's health in the public order. So any thoughts about that, about, about uh, the COVID vaccine? Yes, okay. Um, there's two really, there's 
two different things that we need to take into consideration with regard to the COVID vaccine in and of itself. The first one is that are vaccines in and of themselves wrong or evil? No, no, that's, that's not true. Many of us, in fact, most people have taken vaccines at different points in their life. And, and the question is not about are all vaccines wrong and whatever. We believe in, we think medicine is a good thing and whatever. However, this vaccine, at least the ones that are available right now on market, all of them, and I refer to three in particular, the Pfizer, the Moderna, and the Johnson & Johnson vaccines, all of them were produced in some way using the cells of an aborted child and either tested or actually using to develop the mind directly. And therefore, there are moral issues, right? In other words, um, we don't have to cooperate with that kind of harm or that kind of evil. Now, I, I'm not gonna get into the details, this might be for a longer webinar or something, but there's something called a doctrine of cooperation with evil. And, and the fact of the matter is you can't live in this world without cooperating with evil, right? Um, if you go to the gas station and the guy at the gas who owns the gas station is an anti-Catholic and so you know he puts his money into converting people from Catholics to some other religion, and you get gas from this gas station, you're cooperating in some way with evil, right? Jesus himself said, render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's. He said, pay your taxes, even though he knew well that Caesar was using some of that money for building temples and encouraging idolatry and so forth, okay? So there's no way not to cooperate with evil. The question is, how is that gonna take place? Um, and there's, there's a couple distinctions that are important. The first is, formal cooperation with evil versus material cooperation. Formal cooperation with evil means that we will the evil. We actually want the evil that's happening. In this case, with regard to the vaccine, what would be the evil? Well, it's not the thing that happened in the past. That's done with and you can't change the past. But if you take the vaccine, then what are you doing? You're tacitly encouraging them to produce further vaccines the same way that is using a abortion and, and using um, cells from an aborted child. You're saying, okay, this was highly successful. Even all the Christians, all the Catholics all signed up for it. And therefore we're gonna keep on producing vaccines this way because there's no financial or no significant financial, you know, result, a negative result for us by doing this. So you're actually tacitly encouraging the production of new vaccines this way, which does mean some future evil, some future cooperation with that evil. So even if you don't formally cooperate with evil, right? Um, nevertheless, there is some tacit cooperation and, and encouragement of doing that in the future if you just go forward and take the vaccine without any serious reason. Now, the other element is whether you're proximately or remotely cooperating with evil. And the, um, the proximate cooperation is something that usually you can't do even if it's only a material cooperation. I don't actually agree with the evil, but um, let's say that you're the a cab driver and it turns out that you've been asked to wait there and then you notice these bank robbers come out of the bank and they say, okay, step on it, we got you, we hired a cab, right? Well, you don't agree with them robbing a bank, but now you're actually doing something that's necessary for them to complete their evil act. So you're materially and directly or immediately cooperating, proximate cooperation. So you can't do that. Huh? But if you have remote and material cooperation with evil, then sometimes that can be done and sometimes not. And under Pope Benedict, 
there was a very carefully reasoned out directive instruction um, that from the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith that explained that in some cases it's possible licitly to use a vaccine which was produced in some way using abortion or some other illicit evil. And so the church teaches that in principle, you could do this, but what are some of the conditions that are involved? Well, one of them is that the foreseen evil can't outweigh the good which you're intending. And the foreseen evil is again, encouraging further vaccines being developed this way. And so um, it, it's my judgment that um, you have to have a proportionately grave evil that you're trying to avoid, right? A, a proportionally grave, you know, important good. So I would say that those who are, have a reasonable chance of death if they don't take the vaccine, so people who are very elderly or who have serious underlying health conditions, they would have a justified reason for taking the vaccine. Now, even if they did that, they would have to express their objection to the way in which it was made in some way to the provider, okay, or to the producer of the vaccine. Secondly, those who are in close proximity and contact all the time with people who are vulnerable that way. I think those are the two primary instances where someone could morally and licitly take the vaccine, okay? So I'm just giving you kind of a general layout of the principles. Now there's a second consideration and that's not so much the moral consideration about abortion, but the other half of it is the prudence of taking it because of the fact that no one knows the long-term effects of this vaccine, right? Anyone who tells you that is lying because it's only been around for less than a year, only several months now. So we don't actually have long-term data about this vaccine. And as a result of that, people should not be forced into taking this vaccine. You should not be forced into taking it. If people don't want to take it, they should have liberty about this because no one knows the long-term effects of these vaccines. They're new technology, right? And at the same time, they've only been around for a short time. And we know, if you know enough history, speaking of not canceling history and rewriting history, we know that the government has promoted certain things that eventually ended up being extremely harmful to people's health. <laughs> that has happened in the past. And, um, you know, people should not be naive enough to think that there couldn't be harm as a result of this. So each person has to have a certain kind of freedom with regard to that and not to be naive about that. Okay. So, um, you know, one of the things that I, I mentioned to people is I say, look, um, as, educate yourself, you know, get the, understand the science. For example, is there any evidence that those who have already been infected with COVID and recovered, is there any evidence that they're better off if they take the vaccine? In my research, I have found that no one thinks that. There's no study that shows you're better off with a vaccine if you've already had the virus because all the evidence shows that natural immunity is actually superior to um, vaccination, right? The vaccination, they say it's about 90% effective. Natural immunity is, is approximately 99% effective from the, the evidence that I've been studying. And that's in keeping with most different um, viruses and so forth. We don't know how long the natural immunity will last, but we don't know how long the virus, uh, the, the vaccination would last either. And therefore people who are already naturally immune from having recovered from COVID, I think those people in particular 
um, have very little reason or incentive morally or otherwise to, to get the vaccine. So there's a, as you say, brass tacks. I'm just giving you my reasoned opinion about those things. I'm not a doctor, so I always recommend that people talk to their own doctors about these things. You know, make sure that you've got a good doctor who's not, you know, ideologically, you know, inclined or something like that. But that's those are my thoughts about that. And then we might also say for the for those of you who are feeling in your life some kind of ostracization or you're feeling like you're being canceled because you're objecting to, you know, for your own personal reason for not receiving the vaccine. Well, here's an, an occasion to have love and courage. Mm -hmm. Right. So you say, OK. I'm a free person, you're a free person. So we can we can both come to a you know a way of figuring out how to live together in charity, right? Isn't that what the Christian life is about? And then have your reasons. Have your reasons set up. Here's why I think that I shouldn't take the vaccine. And here's why you shouldn't want to interact with me. You, you should be willing to, to live socially with me, even if. I don't have the vaccine and that's an expectation you have. So right. to give your reasons. Right. So we're, we're all surrounded, we're confronted friends with a, with a lot of very practical applications of living the gospel uh, right now. And maybe that's a good place for us to end. Father Sebastian, uh, thank you so much for your, your excellent presentation. Thank and, and, and thank you everybody for participating and for your questions and please keep them coming. You know, these webinars, are becoming a very powerful tool of evangelization for our community. And we're very grateful for your support. We're grateful for everything that you all do for us, logging into the Abbott Circle, joining us in our webinars, listening to our podcasts and homilies, and for whatever financial support you can give us here too, because we depend upon you and upon God's generosity through you. So visit us at theabbotcircle.com. Uh, look forward to the link for this recorded webinar. Look forward to it in podcast form. And please keep praying for us. We're, yes. we're thriving here at the Abbey. We're so blessed by God in so many ways. We have many young men studying for the priesthood. As you know, 34, we're looking forward to ordinations later this month. And we're looking forward to new uh, men, new postulants joining us, nine of them at least in August and uh, God is blessing us in many ways and you're part of that. So thank you for being with us and for being members of our family. Father Sebastian, will you close us in prayer? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity once again to be together. We ask that you send forth your spirit into our hearts, a spirit of love, a spirit of courage, a spirit of hope that we might be able to shine with the radiance of a gospel to all those whom we meet. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Joseph and all the members of the Holy Family, pray, pray for, for us. us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, friends. See you again. Thank you for listening to the Abbott Circle Podcast. If you enjoyed listening or were spiritually nourished, please leave a review to help our podcast grow. Thanks again. God bless you.